mobile phones, laptops, tablets, and everything in between. This is Sean and Sean, and you're listening to the Silicon Theory Podcast. Greetings, fellow tech seekers, and welcome to another episode of the Silicon Theory Podcast. I am Sean, your host and moderator, and with me tonight is Sean P. Say hello, Sean P. Guys, what's going on? So it turns out that Apple had kind of a big event today. So unless you've been living in the People's Republic of Siam, you've probably heard a little bit about this. But we are going to take you through uh, an in-depth look at all of the items that were announced today, give you some thoughts and some analysis, and um, I'll apologize in advance. This is probably going to be a fairly long one. So stick with us. It'll be worth your time, I promise. And um, let's get started. Let's dive right in. So the first thing that was announced today at the Apple event was the new Series 3 Apple Watch. What did we get in terms of spec? We effectively got an Apple Watch Series 2 with cellular connectivity. Dun, dun, dun! They made a big deal out of this. It's it's pretty neat what they accomplished. I'll give them some credit here. The device looks exactly the same. So they managed to squeeze cellular functionality into a case that's the same size as the existing one that doesn't have it. They kind of explained today that they're effectively using this screen as an antenna, which was kind of interesting. And they showed a demo of the man on the stage wearing the watch talking to a female executive out on the water on like Lake Tahoe or something. Paddleboarding. Paddleboarding, correct. Yeah. And it's pretty neat. I've never been a fan of the Apple Watch design. I don't like the squarish design, but from a technical perspective and a features perspective, it's hard to argue that the Apple Watch is not the best watch on the market right now. It does the most things. So this is this comes out pretty immediately, actually. You can pre-order this on the 15th, and it ships on the 22nd. Uh, they announced WatchOS 4, which will release on September 19th. They announced a new gold aluminum finish color, I actually don't love the new gold color that they're using that much. It's kind of weird. Like it's, I read a bunch of stuff that basically said they this was the death of the rose gold in favor of this, what would you call it, like a champagne gold kind of? Champagne coppery maybe yeah, a yeah, little bit. that's fair. And it's one of those weird things too where I would have never obviously bought a rose gold iPhone because, and this is going to sound totally sexist, but it, I think it's designed for women maybe a little bit. You're a dude. Yeah, and so not for me, but I always thought it was like a, a pretty flattering color, whereas the new one, I kind of, I'm not sure I see the appeal, quite honestly. I know several uh, female friends of mine who own the rose gold iPhone in its various iterations, and they absolutely love it. Uh, I don't know any gentlemen who own it, and I'm not saying that uh, they shouldn't, but uh, I do agree that I think it was very much... Um, a, uh, an idea or a color that appealed to a very specific demographic, largely being women. Yeah, so I mean, you know, what Apple basically said is this is the top selling timepiece in the world, which I don't know if that says a whole lot. Obviously, you're not going to sell as many $15,000 Rolexes as you are Apple Watches. $400 Apple Watch, probably not. So, but what they have as far as what it does is pretty impressive. If you want to be able to, it, it sounded like basically you could tie it to your phone and answer your actual phone and do conversations using your number uh, from your iPhone. Or I was unclear. It sounded like you could also have its own SIM and can have its own number. So this is a little bit ambiguous, and I'll uh, I'll I'll add what I know, and then we can hopefully get some more clarification in the coming days. But the they they made a big point in discussing that. 
having a SIM, even a nano SIM, would be a big problem for uh, something as small as the Apple Watch. So they engineered a digital SIM, which basically takes up, I don't know, one twentieth of the size of a nano SIM, which if you've seen a nano SIM, is very small to begin with. So it is a remarkable feat of engineering. And what they alluded to in the aforementioned uh, phone call to the female executive out paddleboarding was that it looked like you could use it independent of your phone. Yes. Now, I also read something a little bit later on that on Apple's website, somebody screenshotted and sent out, uh, tweeted out a picture of this. Uh, I believe it was um, Sasha from PC Mag, so hopefully I'm I'm giving him the appropriate credit, but it said that uh, the Apple Watch Series 3 did still require pairing with an iPhone using iOS 11 or, or better. So there's a little bit of ambiguity there. Uh, I, I'm going to guess that even with cellular connectivity, it probably still does require an iPhone uh, pairing of some kind, or at least it needs to be associated with your phone in some way, shape, or form. Um, but that has yet to be determined, and hopefully more clarity will come in the, in the coming days. Yeah, and they're really trying to play up the health features. They're doing a study with Stanford that relates to heart afibrillation and using the heart monitor to alert people if they have some of these conditions. And some of it's neat. I'm not sure from a consumer standpoint if those are things that people care about, but it does seem like it could have some use for people. So the watch is one of those things, though, where the the LTE version costs 400 the non-LTE version costs 400 I mean starts at 400 it can escalate quickly from there the non-LTE version starts at 329 so they're still fairly expensive and it's just one of those things where I actually do see a fair amount of them running around now we're in California and I think it was Ruddick or someone else said this is like the height of the reality distortion bubble because we're so close to Apple Pretty so much. maybe I see them more regularly than you do in the rest of the country but I do see them fairly often for me, I'm not sure they hold a lot of utility. We've talked about Android Wear watches, and, and I, I just have never felt like I needed to have one. I flirted with it, but never actually pulled the trigger. This is the best watch on the market, but that may not be saying much. It's like saying, you know, it's it, it's the best, uh, um, you know, Pinto that ever existed. I don't know if that means much. Yeah, and just in a, a quick rundown of some of the other Series 3 features, uh, it will feature a dual-core processor, a custom wireless W2 chip to handle both Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. So this is probably familiar to those of you who own Apple products. When the introduction of the 7, they talked about the Beats uh, headphones and the AirPods featuring the W1 wireless chip for Bluetooth and Wi-Fi connectivity. So the W2 is specific to the Apple Watch. And the they made a big deal about the upgraded heart rate sensors for fitness enthusiasts. It's going to be able to do things like evaluate both your resting and recovering heart rate. And it's also kind of, as Sean P has already mentioned, talk a little bit about the ability to look at detecting AFib with the hope of preventing certain types of heart disease, uh, especially arrhythmias and other of those kinds of things. So it, it is a, a kind of an unusual take. And I think I wrote um, somewhat sarcastically that my first thought was um, Apple's leading with the Apple Watch. And again, you don't want to shoot your load too early here, but um, I, I get that you want to save the big stuff for the end. But just because sales are up 50% year over year and it's the number one watch in the world doesn't mean it's a growth product. I put also. I read. Or I wrote also. Uh, maybe they're saving lives with a watch, but I'm a little bit more skeptical than that. Now, this study with uh, Stanford would hopefully lead to other uh, improvements 
in health and, and personal fitness and the Nike uh, Apple Watch, I understand, does very well as well. So um, I think it was also David Ruddick who said uh, something recently about this is proof positive that the single best use case for an Apple Watch is to receive mobile notifications on your wrist. And to me, that's really what this is, is it, it may be the best smartwatch and really all that it is is a fitness tracker and a way to display notifications. Yeah, if you want to be like, and I'll date myself by using this reference, if you want to be like Dick Tracy and use your wristwatch radio and talk to people on your wrist, uh, people are probably going to look at you like you're nuts. Um, maybe there's a use case of people who are involved in automobile accidents as they cited in this video promotional video for the Apple Watch. Uh, if you crash and your phone is cracked or it's ejected from the car, but you still have your watch on your wrist, you can call for you know emergency assistance. To me, that's a really small use case uh, and hopefully a very small percentage of people that this would happen to. So I, I, I think I, I agree with you. I think it maybe is the best of a very niche product. It, it, I wouldn't say... It. I don't even think it, there's a question. It is the best smartwatch. I just don't know if I care about smartwatches. I'm not sure the market does either. If you do and you're in the market for one, this is the one that you should buy. It, the, yeah, and I think you mentioned this too. It, it is, uh, it's the best smartwatch from a functionality and feature standpoint, but still doesn't look that good. No, and that's pretty I, much it. I like round watches, so that's just a, that's a preference thing for me. But I've never loved the design. Um, the only other thing that was kind of puzzling about the rollout of this watch is Apple axed the Series 2, but kept the Series 1 around. Yeah, buddy. So, so the entry-level one is the original Apple Watch Series 1. There is no Series 2, and then you can step up to the new one, and that's kind of unusual. I think Apple typically keeps the previous iteration around, so I wonder, I don't know what happened there, but and they didn't explain it. No, and in typical Apple, Apple fashion, uh, they probably weren't going to explain it. The only thing that I can think of just off the cuff is... I think that people who are looking to explore whether or not an Apple Watch is for them would probably look for the cheapest version of it. And typically, this the previous iteration of the product is slightly discounted, but not significantly discounted as it might be in this case. I think the Series 1 is 249 if I remember that correctly. That's correct, yes. And it's a, a pretty... It's basically a $150 jump to go to the Series 3. So maybe they think that they can almost use the Series 1 as like a gateway. Well, it's kind of weirder than that, though. The, the base Series 3, though, is actually only $329. So the jump really isn't that yeah, much. You're, you're, you're talking about $80. Bucks. So to me, it's like kind of a no-brainer, I think. But Puzzling. Hey, maybe $249 is... They probably have done a bunch of market research, and that's some sweet spot where they yeah, can get people in. Yeah. 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 Anything else on the Apple Watch before we move on? No. Nice product. Not for me. Yeah, I agree. Uh, in, interesting in the way that something new is interesting, and that's where it starts and ends for me as well. The next item up was the Apple TV 4K. So what did we hear about the Apple TV 4K? I'm sure lots of you are out there already have Apple TVs. So they basically took the existing Apple TV, they upgraded the CPU and the GPU to the A10X, which is the three-core 3 plus 3 core um, CPU that's in the iPad Pro, and they upgraded it to do 4K HDR video. I actually thought this product was one of the more interesting products for me from them. It's a really nice upgrade, and the pricing from them really isn't too bad. Android TV is out there, but most of the Android TV devices are pretty bad, if we're being honest, and the Shield TV, which is kind of the best, you know, by far, 
is expensive. I mean, it's two hundred ninety nine dollars or something. It's it's a pricey piece of technology. What are you talking about? Apple or excuse me, uh, Google completely supports and still sells the Nexus Player, which is. Oh, wait, no, no they, they don't, actually. They sold one year of it, and it's gone. And it was underpowered and kind of not very uh, great to begin with, if we're being blunt. So this is pretty neat. I mean, it has a super high-end CPU and GPU. It's got uh, 3 gig of RAM, and it allows you to do f- full 4K HDR video to your TV. And, you know, the way they explained it is this. When you're talking about the 4K piece, that talk that's the resolution, right? That's the number of pixels. And then they described HDR as kind of the quality of the pixels. And HDR stands for high dynamic range, and it effectively means that there's a wider color gambit and the image looks better. And they, they showed some examples of this. They showed a scene from the Spider-Man movie and then another picture of, like, it was an ins- a butterfly or an insect or something where they yeah. had, it like, half and half. And it looked great. Um... And another really nice thing, they basically said, hey, if you've already bought the HD version of movies through iTunes, you get the 4K HDR version for free, which is a really cool thing to do. And nobody else is doing it. Google uh, is certainly not doing that with purchases made on the Google Play uh, movies piece of Google Play, and um, in essence, you effectively, I think, have to return the old version and buy the new 4K version, which is really kind of a pain in the butt. So this is definitely a, a nice get from Apple. Yeah, I really like the way they presented and handled all of that. I was pretty impressed. They have they're working with all of the top studios, and they showed the six major ones on 4K HDR content. So this, there's going to be a stream of content coming out. Uh, as far as pricing, we have 179 for the 32 gigabyte and 199 for the 64 gigabyte. You can pre-order on the 15th and it ships on the 22nd, so we're talking about a week or so here. For what you're getting, I thought the prices were very reasonable. I agree. This is the best TV box on the market. I would tend to agree, yes. Uh, I, from any conceivable angle, as far as I can tell. And the, the addition of, hey, you get the free 4K version if you've already bought the HD just kind of sweetens the pot. I, there was nothing about this that I didn't like. I, I thought this was one of the more impressive parts of the presentation. So a couple of other things that I noted as well. For those of you that are into your AV standards, uh, apparently the Apple TV 4K, which is kind of a weird and awkward name, but anywho, uh, the Apple TV 4K with HDR will support both HDR 10 and the Dolby Vision uh, standards, so that's pretty good. Uh, I know that a couple of the guys from the Verge cast were talking about how um, there's not a lot of there's a lot of cross incompatibility with standards. You get some TVs that support one, you get boxes that support another, and so it can make it difficult to get ultra high def or 4k content to your ultra high def 4k television and that's kind of the key with all of this is that you have to have a 4k tv in order to be able to take advantage of the 4k processing ability of the apple tv so you'd want to keep that in mind um and let's see what was one other thing they showed a they showed a game on it so one one of the things that we've been kind of debating the last couple days is, is on the boards as after the ios 11 leaked out it had a lot of the details on the processor and one of the debates was is this actually a more powerful gaming platform than Nintendo Switch? And the answer appears to be yes, yes. based off of the power. I mean, you're talking about a, a pretty legitimate gaming platform, and the game they showed was very impressive. It supported up to eight players. I'm blanking out on the name of the game. I want to say Sky? Something like that. And, and it was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, you know, they showed the players lighting candles in order to solve puzzles, so it had all the dynamic lighting and everything, and it, it looked great. The only thing about the gaming on this is 
you have to use the controller that they provided, which is pretty limited. The Siri remote, yeah, not not fantastic. So it's kind of weird. You have this super, a pretty powerful, legitly so box in your living room that can play games, but without that controller piece. I feel like that's something people aren't going to do that often. It might be something you occasionally play games on, but for people that are serious about gaming, it's like you have the Xbox One X or the PlayStation 4 Pro and kind of the, the designer platforms. It feels like Apple's trying to shoehorn in there, but I'm not clear exactly what market they're playing to. It's like, is it supposed to be casual users that may want to occasionally play? Because I don't think it appeals to hardcore gamers. No. But from a power standpoint in the game they showed, I mean, it was a pretty legit game, and it's a very powerful platform. So... I wonder if eventually we'll see them release a dedicated controller and go at this a little bit harder be- because you could you could really do some cool stuff on it. It has the the ability to do it with how powerful the GPU is, but I, I just don't know what they're... It's unclear even from the demo. It was like a beautiful game that was for casual people, I guess? Question mark. And I, I agree. I think it's overpowered for a casual gamer and underpowered and not the right platform for a serious gamer. So uh, I, I agree. And I think maybe the maybe at the end of this, we'll talk about a couple of things maybe that we think is in the future for Apple. But uh, I think a, a dedicated remote or gaming um, handset for this device could be great. I mean, if you think about it, it's basically the guts of an iPad Pro, which would crush most of these games anyway. And it's basically in a set-top TV box. Um, one of the other things that we didn't touch on that it also does is that it will be able to stream live sports and news. And this is something that the Apple TV can do right now with certain content. Um, the news, especially like you can get the CNN app and, and stream CNN live if you want to. But it, they made it sound like there was a lot of deals with um, the right people to be able to bring you sports content and enhance sports content so that you could, in effect, uh, have the Apple TV suggest to you a game, show you the time remaining and the score, and then make a decision as to whether or not you want to watch it. For me, as a big sports fan, that's huge. That's one of the reasons why I subscribe to YouTube TV, because I want the live ability to stream certain things, although without TNT, my beloved NBA basketball is kind of off the table. But notwithstanding, I think that Apple does have a lot here to like in terms of is it is it the best set-top box right now? I, I would say probably yes, and I only say probably because we still haven't seen it yet. We saw the demo, and like with the phones, which we'll touch on shortly, uh, what it actually is, is is not fully realized yet because it's still to come, uh, although in maybe a week or two we'll, we'll know. I, I'm going to disagree a little bit here. I think unquestionably it's the best set-top box on the market just based off of what we've seen because, and, and this is a common theme that I'm going to say tonight, which is this, like, Apple Watch, not for me, but kicks the shit out of anything Android wear because Google, what are they doing? I have no idea. Or any other OEM for that matter. We said this with the iPads. The iPads, expensive, maybe not for me, kick the shit out of the Android best, tablet best scene tablet. because they're terrible. The Apple Apple TV, it's the best because what is Android? Do- what has Google done with Android TV since they announced it a couple years ago when we had the, the Nexus player? Let it rot? Nothing. I mean, they provided updates, but it, they really haven't done anything to to really progress the platform at all. So it's like, Apple, say what you will about some of the they're expensive and they have some of these things, but a common refrain that you hear me say a lot, and this is coming from an Android fan, is this is the best thing on the market. You know, it's like, best watch. I would say the 
Apple Watch. Best set-top TV box, I would say the Apple TV. Best tablet, I would say the iPad. And it's like, this is coming from an Android guy. That pains me a little bit to say. But yes, I agree with you. We haven't seen all of it. It isn't fully fleshed out. But I think you could make a convincing argument that the current Apple TV is the best one on the market. And this is just a better version of that. So to me... I think this is the best set-top box on the market, and if someone was asking me, even as an Android guy, hey, what would you recommend for me and my family, I'd be like, the Apple TV 4K, unless you don't have a 4K TV. Yeah, and the only qualification that I'll give to that is, as Android enthusiasts, and this a lot of this holds true for many of the Apple products, for me, the Nexus player does exactly what I need it to do, and so for me, because I can do things like Chromecast to it and use other Android apps where I can get multiple streaming platforms set up on it directly. Cody! <laughs> Sorry. You clearly have something in your throat. Drink some water, sir. It it serves my purposes better than what the Apple TV would do because it's more integrated into my ecosystem, which is the Google ecosystem. But if you are an average person and or you are invested in the Apple ecosystem, then yes, absolutely. For Apple people and Apple enthusiasts, absolutely it's the best. For the average person, yes, absolutely it's the best. For uh, tech nerds like ourselves, we could make a case for something like the Nexus Player, but again, that is an an aged out product which doesn't, it, it isn't available right now. So if you're looking at the marketplace as it stands today, there not only is there not literally any competition, there's also figuratively no competition. And I laugh. I just did the Cody cough because I think half the planet is using Cody at this point for some kind of media. I do not know what you are referring to, yeah. sir, and please do not use that terminology again. I actually use Terrarium TV, but your point is on both a salient, which is on my Nexus player, I have both installed and I have the ability to do that, whereas I would not have the ability to do that here. But as you pointed you, out... Like, you might not have to. I think we're. I think that's a niche case anyway. I think most most people are just they want to do Netflix and, and iTunes and yeah and chill, right? <laughs> um, and they want to do a bunch of things with their TV that are easy to use. And it's like the Apple TV is just it's great for that. Absolutely, and and there's that's that's the unqualified part of it is if you're not in our world, which the vast majority of you are probably not, then you should absolutely if you're in the market if you have a 4K TV and you need a set top box then you should probably look at it. I agree, the 179 entry price point is very reasonable for this type of product, especially when you consider that you'll be getting uh, ultra high def or 4K content sent to it, which is not cheap usually. So having the ability to do it, take advantage of your TV to its fullest extent is, hell, that's why you buy that crap to begin with, right? Is to look at great stuff on a 4K screen. Let's do it. Yeah, as I said, I was impressed. So uh, that's it. That's the that's the wrap up. That's no. I'm just kidding. So um, one most, more thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> most of you probably are listening to this podcast because you want to know our take on the iPhones. And yes, I say iPhones because they are plural. And what was first announced was that there will be two new, what I consider to be iterative updates. What Apple does not consider to be iterative updates because the successor to the iPhone Seven and 7 Plus are going to be the iPhone 8 and the iPhone 8 Plus. What did we learn about both of those phones initially, Sean? So the rumor mill really pegged all, well, everything Apple did today correctly, but the, the phones, they were dead dead nuts on. So what we got is effectively the same design as the iPhone 7, except for in place of the metal back that it previously had for the last three generations, dating back to the iPhone 6, we now got a glass back. 
the design actually looks fine as far as the, I mean, the construction looks typical Apple excellence. It's got the metal midframe with, I think, laser etched glass attached to it or whatever else. And steel reinforced, no less. Steel reinforced. And, and it looks nice, but it looks the same. Um, this is the same design we've had for four years, and that means you still have the home button, you still have the large bezels. Uh, it, it looks very iterative. The guts are a lot more interesting. Uh, we got the A11 Bionic chip, which is Apple's new um, system on chip. And for those of you that have listened for a while, Apple's been designing their own chips dating back, I think, to like the A6 or A5. And they wipe the floor with everyone else, and it, it continues this year. So we actually have a hexa-core, so a six-core CPU this year. It has two high-performance cores and then four low-performance cores. But unlike last year, the cores can actually be used all at the same time and fired up. So the Geekbench scores that we've seen that have leaked out are in the 9900 range. To give you some context, the Snapdragon 835, which is the highest performing Android chip right now, is about 6,500 to 6,700, depending on the phone. So you're talking about damn near, you know, what, 40% more performance, somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah, very close. And then the GPU is Apple's first GPU design of their own. Custom, yeah. Um, They've been using PowerVR for years, and they got into a messy kind of fight. In fact, they're actually in a legal battle now because PowerVR says they're infringing on their patents, but... This is a 30% boost in performance versus the A10, so once again, we have the most powerful GPU on the planet as well. For the average person, it's probably overkill in a lot of ways. I'm not sure they're ever going to use this to its fullest, but for a guy like me who's into tech, it's damn impressive. Apple continues to impress in this arena. They make the best system on chip in mobile, period. I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you and say that for most people, it is absolutely overkill and would would basically be equivalent to a desktop system of mm, three years ago, four well, years ago? Well, actually, in Geekbench, it's hard to compare because we're talking about different architectures yeah. here. We're talking x86 versus you know RISC and CISC. But um, it actually outperforms the MacBook Pros, a lot of them, the current ones, not old ones. Yeah, it, the, it's the 2017 version of the MacBook Pro. So uh, I actually spoke with a co-worker uh, today and said, when are you and your husband going to, to spend $2,000 on uh, new iPhones? And the response I got was, I just need something that I can make phone calls and send text, text messages with, which... I think it's probably true of the vast majority of the iPhone-owning populace at large. So I think this is absolutely overkill for most people. Now, does it enhance Apple's reputation as providing you with a product that just works? And admittedly, in looking at the, the demos of the performance of the device, everything is smooth, snappy, and responsive. And the, the A11 Bionicle chip is definitely responsible for some of that. Um, I mean, hell, let's let's be honest. Even the S8 with its you know four gigs of RAM and Snapdragon 835 chip is probably overkill for most of what we do too. So that's that's an apples to apples comparison. But um, it, it is it, it is a remarkable feat of technical engineering when you look at it. And again, I think this is something that the normal people, normal user might just gloss over because none of these terms mean much, but it really is an engineering marvel and Apple deserves a lot of credit. So before I go on to some of the things that I don't like as much, I, I just really want to give them credit. The bionic part, it has some machine learning involved and, and neural nets and it's an impressive chip. It's, it's really so far above what Qualcomm's doing, it's almost shameful at this point. I guess the question is, does that matter much in daily use? And that remains to be seen. 
What else did we get? We got upgraded camera sensors. So the iPhone 8 has a single 12 megapixel upgraded um, sensor with a 1.8 aperture. The iPhone 8 Plus has dual cameras as with last year. Uh, both sensors are 12 megapixel and are upgraded as well with an f1.8 and an f2.4 aperture. On the iPhone 8 Plus, the main camera has OIS, the telephoto does not. So. Uh, just one of them has OIS. What else did we get? We got the portrait mode lighting beta that in real time takes your camera and allows you to do some really impressive light filtering. And again, that probably is due to the fact that the chip's so powerful can actually accommodate that in real time. We have wireless charging for the first time. Uh, and this was not a surprise. We knew we were getting it. I think the surprise here is they're actually using the Qi standard, which it we was, just assumed they would use some proprietary standard. They did. I really did. I really thought they were going to come out and go, we've got lightning wireless connectivity. It's completely pri proprietary and come buy all of these new accessories. Hashtag new, more dongle life. And they said, we're going to use the established wireless standard Qi. I was kind of, kind of blown away, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm actually really thrilled about this because... That means there's going to be more wireless charging pads out there and better quality ones because now that Apple's adopted it, everyone will make them. Yep. So it's great that they're using the standard. They also added quick charging, which is a feature that's been in Android phones for a year and is pretty awesome. Very. This is the first time in iPhones. And they said something like you can, I think in 30 minutes, you can get like 50% of the battery or something. So this, this is great news for people that are power users and need to charge their phone more quickly. Uh, the cameras, along with the upgrades, they got 4K 60 frames per second, which is a first, and they also added 1080p 240 frames per second, which allows you to do slow motion. Super slow-mo. Pretty impressive. Base storage is now 64 gigabytes, but along with that comes a price increase. So the base iPhone 8 is now $699. The base iPhone 8 Plus is $799. If you want to upgrade to 256 gigabytes, which is the next step up, instead and, of a hundred dollar, and the only step up, and the only step up, instead of the typical hundred dollar jump, it's 150 dollars now. So the 256 gigabyte iPhone 8 jumps up to 849, and the 256 gigabyte iPhone 8 Plus jumps up to 949 dollars. Apple, uh, this by the way, September 15th pre-order, so that's Friday, and then they're released on September 22nd, so you get the typical quick release window. So go get in line in front of the Apple Store now. Oh, oh wait, no, don't, don't do that. Don't be an uh, idiot. Color options, sorry, glossed over this too. Silver, space gray, and the new gold color that I don't really care for. Here's the deal with these. Don't pull any punches. By the way, also included dual stereo speakers and water resistance. Oh, IP68, yeah. Exactly. Uh, they didn't specifically say that, but we assume that's what it is because that's what the iPhone 7 oh, was. Screen resolutions did not change, so the base is still 1334 by 750 which at this point is not so great. They really, I don't understand why they're not updating it. And then the uh, Plus is still 1080p. Uh, Retina HD with their true tone um, color gamut, I think, is the only thing that really changed. So, uh, let's see, I'm reading through my notes very quickly just to make sure we didn't miss anything. And for those of you still listening, I'm actually going to show Sean a funny meme while I talk for just a second. I saw this, and we'll get to this on the when we discuss the next one. Um, it, they did also say that the A10 Bionicle chip will have... A11 Bionic. Sorry, A11 Bionicle. <laughs> uh, Bionicle Chronicle whatever the hell it's called, 
uh, will feature its own custom ISP or image signal processor, which is kind of a first also, I think, for Apple. It's going to be able to, the image signal processor is the part of the chip that translates the digital image captured by the camera and turns it into the finished product. Um, the Snapdragon 835 has an upgraded ISP over the Snapdragon 821, so one would assume that the A11 chip with its custom ISP should be able to produce and reproduce um, excellent photos, and your digital photography with this device should be amazing, including the things like um, the portrait uh, mode on the 8 Plus, as well as the, what did we call it? Portrait lighting, sorry, that you touched on earlier. So um, having said that, what um, what were you going to mention about things that you did not like? Look, I'm going to be blunt here. These are great phones, but... Wait, wait, wait. You are going to be yeah. blunt? Shocking. But I'm going to be honest and say nobody fucking cares. And, here, <laughs> and here's, not even Apple. Wait, what? You could tell during the presentation, they jumped right into this, they showed their slide, they didn't show a working demo, they didn't do anything. You want to know why? Because they knew they were basically showing off a design that is four years old at this point. It has huge bezels. It looked dated last year and it looks more dated this year. Yes, the guts are upgraded. It kicks ass on the inside, but... People don't really care. Phones are a fashion thing now. You would look at this phone and you would not be able to tell that it's not different than your iPhone 6. We're talking years old at this point. Especially if it's in a case and you can't see the glass back. It is in every other way identical. It's identical. And you could tell that Apple was also not excited and they knew this was not why people are there. It was a very short part of the presentation. There was no actual live demonstration. They just they went through the stuff that it does, and they went boom, 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 and called it a day. They went through some AR stuff. They did an AR demo of a game, and the AR demo of the game was fine. People might actually use that. I'm skeptical. AR and VR for me at this point, I have yet to see any compelling reason from anyone why I should care with phones specifically. Um, so that I can watch two guys playing basketball and put a Tyrannosaurus Rex behind them. Duh. So these phones are exceedingly unexciting, really, and you could tell Apple knows that. And so it was kind of a weird part of the presentation, actually. They, they almost glo- It was like, these are your new flagship phones, and it was like they almost wanted to rush through the segment as quickly as possible to get to the... New flagship phone? The iPhone X. And it, the 8 is, it, it is, it is an unusual product line at an unusual time where Apple is quite literally, as they themselves said, looking at the future of the smartphone with another product. But that product is going to probably see some supply constraints. Is definitely going to see some uh, supply constraints. Is also probably going to face artificial scarcity due to its price tag, which we will get to. And so they released, as I said, what I feel is an iterative version of their 7 uh, phone with a few nice bells and whistles. Mind you, the wireless charging is probably uh, one of the single best additions, but it, it it did really feel like they were kind of like, hey, here's the phones that you can actually buy while, while you're waiting for this other thing that we're going to make that's not going to be available for a little while. So um, let's just, let's, let's, let's jump right to the elephant in the room and talk about what is incorrectly being referred to as the iPhone X, which offends me deeply as both a human and a technology person, but is in fact the iPhone 10 or 10th anniversary edition. Sean Plunkett, please proceed. 
this is the phone that's been leaking left and right that we knew we were going to get. This is Apple's new OLED bezel-less 5.8-inch iPhone. Hang on a second. La- okay, go ahead. And the leaks were exactly right on this phone, dating back to basically February. Pretty much. So what we have here is a design that is glass front and back, just like the iPhone 8s. It has a metal mid-frame, so similar in that aspect. But the whole front has a four millimeter bezel all the way around, and then at the top has a notch for the new camera system that they have. But other than that, is all screen. So the iPhone 8 is like 65-ish percent screen uh, to bezel ratio, which is very low for this day and age. As a point of comparison, the Galaxy S8 and the LG V30 are more in like the 80 to 82 percent range. And this brings them right up to the to that with the big boys. This is like an 80 to 82 percent uh, screen um, front front end. So it looks fine. Um, fine. I actually fine. Period or fine? Question mark. I really like the design. I think it's clean. I think the the build quality is meticulous based off what I've seen. The camera bump is seriously large. I mean, a very large camera bump. And I do have to say, from the front side. This is a matter of preference, but I don't like the notch, and I actually prefer the bezel-less designs that Samsung and like LG especially is doing with the V30, and maybe even the essential to what Apple has done here. It looks great, so it really comes down to preference, but I, I don't love the way it looks from the front, and the other puzzling thing is this. We saw demos, and they showed video, and they showed apps, and the presumption by many people was, since it's an LED, OLED screen, the little ears on the side of the notch at the top for things like video would just be blacked out. That would be the natural thing to do. And the same would be for apps, maybe. It would be blacked out or it would always be constant or whatever. But Apple didn't do that. When they showed the video being played, the video played all the way up into the ears, which means you have a section of the video on that notch that's basically being covered. Yeah. And then when you're looking at apps, because Apple uses a lot of light colors for their you know, uh, app store and whatnot, it's... It, to me, I would have to see it in person, but it was distracting. I actually, I prefer it would be blacked out up there and it would just use the rest of the screen, but instead they have these two little ears that are lit white, and to me, it didn't look great. They went through the effort of having all of the fronts on this phone be black, again, which would make sense because if you're blacking out other sections, it just blends together really nice, but they didn't do that. So I, I love a lot of it. I think it looks really premium and space age, so to speak. It's the future of their design. But I don't think it necessarily looks better subjectively than what LG and, and Samsung are doing. I I don't know how I feel about it also. Uh, and I have kind of mixed emotions. My, my initial thought was that it was just too distracting for me to even be able to care for it at all. And again, in watching the videos, where video content is being displayed on the screen, it looks weird. Like, especially when you hold it in landscape mode, you've got one side that is perfectly square, and then another side which has these bunny ears sticking up. Now, again, it's not a ton, but it is noticeable, and it's noticeable to the point of being distracting, at least for me. And so from that standpoint, I I don't care for this inflammation at all. And I think we've talked in previous podcasts about how um, maybe Samsung has or LG has at this point one of the best implementations of this, you know, infinity display, so-called whatever. Bezel-less, quote-unquote. Yeah. With bezels. Type of design language because it's symmetrical. And that, to me, is where the problem comes in. Apple is always about design and design language and and 
elevating design to an art form. And this type of asymmetrical design seems to be, to me, the very opposite of what Apple does. And it's also just from an aesthetic standpoint to me as someone who admittedly is incredibly OCD, it's just so jarring that I wouldn't be able to, to look at the screen probably for more than five minutes. Now, having said that, uh, I, I do think that the display, which I think we maybe touched on or not, but is a 5.8 inch super retina display resolutions 2436 by 1125 with 458 pixels per inch so it is the most pixel dense highest resolution apple display to date and will support both hdr on the display again in the hdr 10 and dolby vision standards um, One disappointment there, a lot of people were hoping it would have the 120 megahertz refresh rate that they just rolled out on the iPads, and yes. it doesn't. So I, I know a lot of people were looking for that. Uh, me too. I'm hoping the industry moves that direction, but not yet. It, it's very smooth in terms of what that refresh rate can do for responsiveness on a screen. But um, all of that having been said, uh, it it really, I, I don't know. I have, Like I said at the beginning, I think I have mixed emotions about it. I don't. The, the part of me that really appreciates the awesomeness that tech can generate and that this is kind of the pinnacle of that example, uh, want, that part of me wants to appreciate it. And then the other more, I don't know, more human part of me, more normal part of me looks at it and goes who the fuck thought was, that was a good idea because it's stupid. I'm kind of in between, like obviously there was a technical limitation everyone's trying to work around and they're doing it in different ways. I just don't happen to prefer this way to others. Um, as far as specs to just to complete and round out the picture here, we have the same A11 that's powering the other two phones. The Bionicle. Uh, three gigabytes of RAM. The phone, the cameras on this are both 12 megapixel with all of the same upgraded sensors, F1.8, F2.4, but in this one, both of them have OIS. And the only other phone like that right now is the Note 8, so now we have two on the market that have OIS in both cameras. You get the you get better battery life, so they're just quoting two hours better battery life in the iPhone Seven, but we don't know what the capacity is yet. And other items, no, uh, it does support wireless charging, no button, obviously no home button, which is a first for them. So in lieu of that, they're using for identification and to wake the phone up Face ID. Yes, which is basically they're using an infrared sensor that's projecting three. At least 30,000, excuse me, 30,000 dots on your face and it has a map that it's reading and it it knows that it's you. It takes that information, translates it to a neural network machine learning engine, which then is able to successfully identify whether or not the face that is being presented to it is you by depth sensing and all this other stuff. Now, I don't know what the hell any of that really means, but what I can tell you is, is for the record, Apple Push Touch ID included it in the touch bar on the new MacBook Pros, which they sold as being very super duper awesome. The 8 and 8 Plus will also still support the Touch ID standard. And yet for their most premium product, they have removed it, said you don't need it, and Face ID is way better because it's a one in a million chance that someone else can unlock your phone with their face. Instead of one in 50,000 for Touch ID. This was a really interesting part of the presentation and I don't understand what they're doing. Everyone knows 
they had multiple prototypes out there. They had prototypes with the sensor on the back, and they also had prototypes with the sensor under the screen. They couldn't get the yields right for the one under the screen. Same problem Samsung had. Correct. And they didn't want to go with the back because they thought it was an eyesore, right? Yes. So here's the issue for me. Which I disagree with. I think they should have put it in the Apple logo on, on the back. back. Absolutely. It would have been sick. It would have been awesome. But now the weird thing was they sold this as, yes, Touch ID is no longer good. Face ID is what you want. So next year, when they presumably get the technology correct and have it under the screen, <laughs> are they going to try to pivot back and go, hey, just kidding, we now have Touch ID 3.0 or whatever the F that's even better than Face ID? Possibly. I was actually going to mention this in what's possibly in the future for Apple, but since we're talking about it, I'll throw it out there now. What I think they're going to do is, I think you're right, I think they're absolutely going to solve this problem. They're going to go, we know last year we told you that Face ID was the shit, but so many of you wanted Touch ID. We, Apple, your deities, have heard your cries, and we are bringing Touch ID back. Oh, and one more thing. It's a bazillion times better than ever. They're going to sell it like they are doing it on purpose when really what it is is it had, Face ID is an admission that we couldn't get the thing we wanted right the first time. And to your point... Face ID, the demo, the first guy that they tried in a... Craig, Craig Federighi, God love him. On a staged environment, the whole deal, it didn't work. Did not work. He had to use his pin the first time as a backup. And here's the deal with Face ID. I have it on the Samsung, I have it on the Galaxy S8 Plus. It doesn't work that well. Now, the implementation that Apple's doing is a lot more complex than what Samsung's doing, so it probably will work better, but it's just inconvenient. Someone pointed out today, the fastest fingerprint scanners you can unlock in 0.2 milliseconds... Even if you could pull the phone out of your pocket that fast, you still have to align it with your face in order for it to actually set off. Not only that, but like every time you buy something with Apple Pay now, you have to scan your face in order to make it go. In lieu of Touch ID, you have to use Face ID. That is the secure biometric authentication protocol. And I'm willing to give them some benefit of the doubt because Apple historically has had good luck with bringing new things to the market and making them better from an implementation standpoint. But I'm going to go on record right now as saying, I do not believe under any circumstances this will end up being as convenient as Touch ID was. And I am going to go on the record and say, I'm going to call Shens on that because of the meme that I just showed Sean a little bit earlier, which I think is hilarious. So I'm going to try and retweet it from our account so those of you that want to see it can see it. But it's basically two little people, one with a Samsung logo, one with an Apple logo. And the Samsung logo says, I made this and gives the Apple logo a, uh, a disc that says Super AMOLED on it because Samsung has produced these OLED panels for Apple. And the Apple person says, you made this? Question mark. And the Samsung person gives the Apple person the disc. And then the Apple person turns around and presents the disc now having changed Super AMOLED to Super Retina. And the Apple person then says... I made this. That's hilarious to me. And you know why? Because it's freaking true. <laughs> it's true. And they even took a shot like, this is the first OLED panel that's good enough to be in an iPhone. And it's like, dude, your panels have been getting skull thumped by Samsung panels for, <laughs> for three or four years now. Don't get it twisted. It, it'll be interesting to see what this panel is. We don't know if it's Pentile Matrix. We don't know if it's S-Stripe. I want to see the measurements to see if it actually matches the Note 8, which is the current benchmark for, for screens. But I'm willing to bet it'll probably come pretty damn close, if not exceed it. So it, it's going to be an impressive panel. But yeah, it's a Samsung panel, period. Samsung made the best screens, and now they're buying the best screens. Good for them. But it's not something new and different, certainly, and we'll see if it even exceeds what Samsung's doing. Uh, price for this phone. 
64 gigabytes, $999. 256 gigabytes, $1,149. Sorry, I almost choked on myself. So basically $1,000 and $1,150, depending on which of these super expensive phone versions you want. And by the way, you cannot pre-order this until October 27th. It will be available on November 3rd. We've already heard yields are very low for this phone. We're hearing they're making $10,000 a day, which, quick math, puts you at about $300,000 a month. Assuming they've been making these since August, that would mean they would have, what, between $1 million and $1.3 at launch, which will not be enough. It'll sell out about one second flat if that's the yield. Every celebrity who can afford it is going to buy this phone, and every non-celebrity rich person who believes that their phone is a fashion accessory uh, will want this phone, and I'm going to guess that there's probably more than 1.3 million of those people, and some of them will probably buy or want to buy multiples of them for everyone in their entourage. So uh, I read somewhere that somebody said the iPhone 10 actually was iPhone X, and the X stands for exclusive because there's going to be a bunch of people that want it, and not a lot of people going to get it. So this brings us to the overarching issue that I have with this. Is it a great phone? Yes. Is it technologically probably the most advanced phone there is right now? Yes. Is it the best looking of the bezel-less designs? For me, no, although, again, that's subjective. Personal preference. Is it insanely expensive? Absolutely. Is it going to be hard to get? Absolutely. I think the bigger issue is this. Will the average person walk into a store, see the iPhone 8 and the 8 Plus, and go, wow, that looks exactly the same as the phone I've had for the last three years, then see the 10 and go, wow, that looks a lot different, it looks really neat, only to find out that it costs $1,000, isn't going to come out for at least a month, and is very expensive. At that point, if you're an Apple person, do you wait, try to get a 10, and pay $1,000? Do you punch for a year knowing, yeah, next year probably all of them are going to support this design? What do you do? And what's Apple's play here? The thing that I can't figure out is this. I'm sorry, the, the 8 and the 8 Plus do not stand out. If I walked into a store and I saw that next to the Galaxy S8, the Galaxy S8 Plus, the Note 8, the V30, the G6, and all the Essential, all these other beautiful designs, I would look at it and go, that looks old as shit. As you'd say, why do they have a phone from three years ago here next to these phones and, that were released this year? And why did they release a phone that's effectively the same? And I don't think a glass back is going to be enough to sway a lot of people. So what is, what's Apple's, what do you think they're thinking here? To me, I feel like they're splintering their own market. And to me, again, I feel like it's almost like, why would I buy the 8 or the 8 Plus? It's a, it's a, it is a very difficult question to answer. So two parts. Uh, second part I'll answer first, which is why would I buy the 8 or 8 Plus? Um, because you need a phone now would be the first question, and the X is not going to be available for a little while, a couple months. And the second question would be because you can't afford $1,000 on a phone, which is a pretty goddamn good reason not to buy the iPhone 10. Having said that, you know, again, six ninety nine versus nine ninety nine is a three hundred dollar difference, which you know is basically thirty three percent more markup on your phone. So there are going to be a lot of people who are priced out of this new, as we've talked on previous podcasts, ultra premium tier. Counterpoint: Everyone at work, when I was talking to people today, are like, "How much is it? Thousand dollars? Yeah, but how much more is it a month? Mm, twenty bucks? Eh, it's only twenty bucks more a month." That, that Apple reality distortion field that 
we belong to here in California, I think is probably, well, let's just call a spade a spade. It's very prevalent. I think that in the major metropolitan markets, that might be true, but I don't think that'll be true for the vast majority of people who currently own iPhones. And I say this only because I looked at the website and they're still freaking selling the iPhone SE. And you know why? It's good and it's cheap. Follow-up question. Do average consumers give a shit that the design of this phone is now four years old and looks old as fuck and busted? I think the answer to that question in in the buying public at large is no. I, I think in some instances they will go, eh, it's what I like. I don't think that... I think that technology, technology enthusiasts like us absolutely will hate it and would would not buy it to begin with because there are more, much more appealing, visually aesthetic appealing options out there. And we're probably Android people anyways. The, I, I, I still come back to the price. I think that people will, will I don't think that they're going to defect because I think the jump from Apple or iOS to Android is harder than, or at least is perceived to be harder than people think. And I think that cost will be a factor. And again, I think that scarcity will be a factor. If you go in, you want to, you're ready to, you know, take out a second freaking mortgage on your house to go buy your phone and you get into the store and they go, uh, sorry, we sold out of the three iPhone X's we had this week yesterday and you need a phone. You're going to go, okay, well, what's this other one do? And they'll go, it's almost as good. It just doesn't have a big screen. It's got most of the other stuff. I, I think Which is true. I think that there are a lot of people who are going to go, okay, give me that because they want the newest Apple, and if they can't get or aren't willing to wait for, I mean, shit, if you're willing to wait two months to spend more money, like, dude, send that my way is what I'm saying. But I don't think that people care as much about the aesthetic thing as we think, uh, and as we do because of who we are and the kind of market that we're in. And and I think that pricing is really gonna be a factor, and I think that the cheaper, newer iPhone 8 will will sell incredibly well. Maybe people just don't care. To me, it was a very lackluster, even from Apple's thing, of just, eh, here's here's our new phone, and now we'll get to the good stuff that people really wanna see. And if I walked into a store again and and was really objectively comparing this to some of the other designs, it's a weird thing too. Internally, it's better than the Android phones, for the most part. For sure. It doesn't have as many options. It doesn't have like an SD card slot, and I don't like the design as much necessarily. AMOLED screens are superior to IPS LCD at this point for the most part. So that means the V30 and the Samsungs would look better on the display standpoint. So again, I think I actually, you could make an argument that the hardware in Android is so competitive even though some of the CPU and GPU is not. Com- competitive, yes, I'll agree. Yeah, and the, and the cameras are competitive. I Absolutely think too. they are. So to me, it's just one of those things where it's like, man, I, I don't, this doesn't move the needle at all. And we crucified HTC for using the same basic design for the M7, the M8, and the M9. And we were like, man, that takes some brass balls in tech land to use the same design for three years. Who does that? You can't do that. Nope. Well, this is year four for Apple. That's just, I can't believe it. And I think they're Apple. And so again, they think they can get away with it. And this is very much... They can probably. Yeah. And it is a bridge. I I think you're right. That I think that next year both of their devices will have the new form factor of the iPhone 10 and people will just forget about it and they'll say, okay, well that was just, you know, we, we were, again, we were, we're releasing these cause we've got to release something. We know not everybody's going to be able to buy the 10. We wanted to pack a whole bunch of crazy crap into the 10 
And this is kind of, in essence, it kind of mirrors Samsung's strategy, even though these phones are released at two different times. So you've got the Galaxy S series, and then you got the Note series. And in this case, Apple has the iPhone 8, and you also have the iPhone 10. But it's kind of weird, right? Like in a year, the rumor mill is already out for the next iPhone that we're going to have a 5.8 inch that's going to be the base, and then you're going to have a 6.4 inch with this new design language that's the same size as the existing Plus. So presumably the base phone next year will be what? 699 again, 749 even if they move this new design language. I don't think it I don't think it will personally. I think it'll be higher than that. But so are they really going to move their entire iPhone lineup so that the starting price is now $900 next year because otherwise what you have is people that paid $1000 for the X this year with no Touch ID, and then next year you have a better version with Touch ID that could conceivably be two to three hundred dollars less because all their phones look like that. I I think I'd be pretty pissed off actually, and I think I might actually just wait. I don't know. I'm an early adopter though, so it is like you do want the latest and greatest, right? But that's not an inconceivable thing. Of next year, the base iPhone will be better than the thousand dollar one this year. The scenario that you've just described actually pleases me greatly to think of idiots who go spend my thousand dollars and then go wait a minute the version you announced this year is has got touch id again and is better why did i spend a thousand dollars again because then the the swap of value of those the resale value of those plummets like stone but uh, apple i it doesn't even matter iphones still resell well no matter what so it may not be that bad but this could be a kind of a unique case to your point too, I actually would, if you put a gun to my head and said you had to buy an iPhone, I'd buy the $1,000 one. I know that sounds crazy, but I would. And I think that you can actually make the value proposition for it if you're, cause like, okay, look at it this way. The 128, excuse me, the 256 gigabyte eight plus is $949, a anyway, $50 difference. Yeah, basically. I mean, what the hell at that point? So, and, and that I think is probably the, the real comparison, which is, uh, if you're looking at apples to apples, then you're definitely comparing the 8 Plus to the 10 because that is the size of the display point. Like nobody's going in from a 4.7 to a 5.8. Like that's just not, uh, that's not a straight across. Actually, they're almost the same size. It's in much closer in size to the smaller iPhone, the 8, than it is to the 8 Plus. True, in terms of overall form factor. But if what you're looking at is just a, oh, I want a big the screen, screen yeah, phone, then the 8 Plus is the, is the direct competitor to the X or the 10. And in that respect, you're absolutely right. I think that if it were available in large quantities, the iPhone 10 would absolutely cannibalize business from the 8 Plus because at a difference of 949 to 999 and the design aesthetic and all the other crap that comes with it the the dual cameras that are both optically uh optically stabilized and uh all of the other enhancements like and I'm not going to touch on this too much but the uh animated emojis or the animojis that they de- debuted was probably the low light of the presentation when we when literally had talking shit in a presentation <laughs> that that actually that happened <laughs> that that may actually not have been a low point for the presentation, it may have been a low point for humanity. <laughs> and a talking emojis thing too, just so you guys know what we're talking about, it has a seven megapixel front facing camera and in concert with the face scanning, they basically have taken emojis 
made them into polygons in 3D and made it so that when you talk, it matches what you do. It kind of matches your facial emotions a little bit. It animates them. But it's the stupidest fucking thing ever. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like This is a dumb thing that I think you would use for five minutes to say, oh, my $1,000 phone does this and I'm going to be a talking shit emoji. <laughs> and then you would never use it again because it's freaking ridiculous. If I ever send you an animated shit emoji, I want you to punch me in the dick. <laughs> I will, I will absolutely take you up on that offer, and now I'm going to buy you the thousand dollar iPhone, so that scenario can happen. It's it's just it's it's nonsense. Just a straight dick punch at that point. That's what I'm asking for. But it's I mean that was like one of the highlights of the thing is like a talking shit emoji. I'm like this is happening in 2017. Like North Korea is gonna fucking nuke us, but we're talking about a talking shit emoji. Like it's it's something. It's it's amazing. <laughs> This oh, is the man. epitome of the Apple. I've you made me laugh so hard. I'm actually I have the hiccups now. This is the epitome of the Apple reality distortion field because they they went on stage. Craig, Craig Federighi again, God bless him, went on stage and and debuted this as if it was something to be proud of. He animated his face as a poop emoji. This is 2017. This actually happened. Well, then there's the fucking creepy panda emoji. Like, I'd rather deal with it than the fucking Pennywise than the creepy panda. I mean, God. To me, it was incredible. The unicorn was was quite lovely, actually. The freaking unicorn. Don't even get me started with a penis on his head. It's it's ridiculous. So hopefully you stayed with us through this rant because we went way off the rails there. But This is a real Sean P. rant, like, all the way. Um, It... It is a it is a very unusual conundrum from the st- from the standpoint of it is app what is Apple really trying to do here? Are they really trying to cannibalize their own business? Are they really just trying to buy time until they can perfect well, the technology? And another head scratcher. What the hell are they doing with the naming convention? Here's the eight and the eight S. Just call it the freaking iPhone X, iPhone ten. So what the hell are you going to announce next year? If you announce the iPhone 9, are people going to think it's automatically inferior because it's one number less? Yes. Are you going to announce the 9 and 11 next year and have this like weird split naming convention all the time? Or are you just going to say, this is the iPhone... My guess is they'll do, this is the iPhone 10s and the iPhone 10s Plus next year. Would be my guess of like, we've taken the phone of the future and now it's just our phone or whatever the hell. But until I see what they're doing, the naming convention's stupid. iPhone X sounds cooler than iPhone 10, by the way, too. I think they'll just start over and just call it the new iPhone. Whatever. I don't even care. I'm too busy. I'm, I'm hung up on the shit emoji. <laughs> Haters gonna hate and lovers wanna love. The, 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 uh, I don't even, I don't even know where to go with this because I think we were both kind of in agreement that there, the device itself in a vacuum is the, the 10 is unique. State of the art. State of the art. It's without peer from a technical standpoint. Um, and just take it on its face. It is, it's right there at the top of the market, period. It can compete with anything. I have some some subjective issues with the look and whatever else, but it really does take the best components of virtually everything and throws it into a phone. And the design issues, you know, the camera hump, whatever, those notwithstanding, it's a beautiful phone. So it's great, but it's freaking ridiculously expensive, and I think it really makes the iPhone 8 and the 8 Plus look very plain. And I don't know where that puts Apple. I I guess we'll see where it puts Apple, because the... 
this the sales numbers will start to come out for fourth quarter. The iPhone 10 will be available at the beginning or in the kind of right in the middle of the fourth quarter, but the full impact probably won't be seen until first quarter of 2018. And Apple is famous for not breaking out the different segments of their um, phone fleet. So they'll just say, hey, we've sold more iPhones than ever before. And you'll face shortages of the iPhone X. And there will start to be reports about how, you know, only Lil Wayne and Taylor Swift have them and, and so on and so forth. But Tadoff Swittler. The, the end end-all be-all of Apple's strategy is that it is, in a lot of ways, it's very Apple, and in some ways it's very un-Apple. It seems very confident, bordering on arrogant, perhaps, the way that they handled it all. Which is very Apple. Again, technically, these phones are without peer. The CPU, the GPU, it's amazing stuff. I don't know if consumers care that much. I think at the end of the day, a lot of people are going to walk and be like, why does it look the same as the other ones? And why can't I get that one? And oh, even if I can get it, it's $1,000. Holy shit. So it's just they're in a weird place. And you know what? Probably three months from now when we're doing our end of the year recap, we'll be like, hey, look, Apple just had a record quarter. We don't fucking know anything. We're idiots. And this is why they have you know billions of dollars. And what the hell do I know? I think Apple will probably, Tim Cook will get on his earnings call and go, somebody say, make money, money, make money, money, money. Pretty much. What what, what else do we think about the future for Apple's, the future of smartphones? Like, I think we've already touched on the fact that we both believe, or at least strongly believe, that Touch ID will make a return. It'll come in the form of an underglass fingerprint sensor. And that may leave Face ID out in the cold. Uh, Face ID, by the way, very, very highly touted as working both in day and night conditions. By lighting your face. And would also allow you to, because of the neural uh, network machine learning, to be able to do things like grow a beard or shave your beard or wear a hat or put on a scarf, put on glasses, and it would still attempt to recognize you. So that part of the technology is really cool, but I, I think it is vastly inferior to what Touch ID is in terms of functionality and efficiency. Um, I'm very interested to see all the people with the yo-yo dance of holding their phone up to their face, putting it to the reader, putting it back to their face, putting it to the reader when they're trying to do mobile payments, and then probably go screw it and just pay with the NFC on their Apple Watch at that point. But um, what, what else What else do we foresee maybe for the next the next version of Apple's I feel like the roadmap's pretty clear for them. Both of the phones next year will have this design, so you'll have the same design for both. They'll all they'll move to all OLED for every tier. And they'll probably progressively start making the sensors at the top smaller so that you have a smaller forehead, so to, so to speak. Notch. I would imagine that's what they'll move to next. So next year I expect to see basically the iPhone X10 design language apply to all of their phones with a smaller forehead and with integrated touch ID. That's probably what, and then, you know, the normal stuff, uh, upgraded CPU, GPU, etc. That's what I expect to see next year. And with new colors, probably. They'll probably have some new colors. Maybe they'll have an even uglier gold. Who knows? Probably. They're Apple, so maybe. Maybe. Actually, I'm hoping they'll bring back the rose gold and go, just kidding. They probably guns. should. It looks better. Pew, pew, pew. Um... I, I, I will say this, though. I'll give them credit again where credit's due. From a, a design standpoint, this is the most bleeding-edge design where they're, you know, market-leading design since the iPhone 4. 
I don't know if this crap is uh, what did Tim Cook say uh, innovative and magical or some crap like that I'm basically the same speech he gives every year but I agree I think that in terms of pushing the envelope forward of what the technology can do and what a smartphone can do this will definitely be uh, amongst the milestones in this type of technology absolutely in design for them and um, you know, maybe AR is great and, you know, maybe the poop emoji thing is not where that's a, the best use case for it. But maybe, maybe, and I have, I did see, and I will, I'll tend to disagree with you. I think AR definitely has a place in terms of things like the, um, the baseball game scenario that they gave I thought was kind of cool. The overlay of, hey, I'm going to hold my phone at the runners on the bases and it'll give me the names of the players and the stats because usually my seats are kind of in the nosebleed, so that's kind of a fun thing. The uh, use case where you can point it at the sky and see constellations. Some of that technology is out there right now, but in terms of real-time information overlaid on top of the existing world, um, Google actually announced some of this at their um, I.O. conference. They called it the um, Google Lens so they're they're looking at an augmented a future where augmented reality is part of what we do. Do I think it's there yet right now? No. Do I think that some of the things that they showed us today are useful? No. Do I think that there may be a better use case for it in the future? Yeah, absolutely. Here's my issue with it. I'm not fucking Lewis and Clark. Like I don't need to hold my phone up to navigate with constellations. Like I don't ever see then myself Then you're doing it wrong. But I don't ever see myself doing that. And the baseball one was like yeah, sure. I question how well that would actually work in actual practice when you're using it. This was a stage demo. Yeah, and two, baseball is freaking boring as F, so I wouldn't be caught dead as a baseball game anyway, but that's another discussion for another day. But I just, I really question the utility of those things. It wouldn't work for any other sport because they're all too fast-paced. Soccer people are running around, basketball, what the fuck ever. Um, so baseball, it works because they sit there for a half hour. But again, like... I don't see anyone. Is anyone really going to be holding their freaking phone up so that they can see some little, uh, you know, floaty things with statistics over the player's head? Maybe uh, once. Dude, I've been to places where I've seen people taking freaking pictures with iPads. So trust me, I believe anything. I say boo to you, sir. As I said, like <laughs> I, I don't see people actually. But AR, yes, they show demos. Tango. I've seen Google demos where they do some things where it's like, hey, look, there's a T-Rex on your table. It's like, hey, nobody gives a shit. Like, <laughs> I don't understand why this is a thing. I don't think people care. Wait a minute. There's a T-Rex on your table and you don't give a shit? That thing will probably eat you. Dude, people use their phones to fucking take Snapchat pics of their dick and send it to people. They don't, they're not like... You definitely need a filter for that. They, they don't... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to filter that. A magnification filter. I'm just saying, I don't think people, like, people aren't buying their phones and going, hey, you know what's going to be cool? I'm going to be able to go to a baseball game and hold my phone up like an idiot in the stands and see statistics about someone. Or, hey, if I get lost in the fucking bush country, I can use constellations to navigate my way back by holding up my phone. Who's asking for this? I, I paid $99 for a land nav class at REI, so I think that that constellation stuff is Yeah, good, well, you're a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> We're doing a podcast about phones. Exactly. The... <laughs> The Yeah, maybe you're right. I, I agree that people don't go into it thinking I'm going to use these things and so that's what I need to buy the phone for. I need to send iMessages and... Yeah, and that's what they're doing. They're taking like pictures that. of their kids or like whatever. They yeah. don't like. I don't think they're as they're taking a picture of their kid in their soccer game, going, "Hey, look with AR, I can put a T Rex on the field." Like, who cares? <laughs> like, come on, a T Rex that only I can see on my four point <laughs> seven inch display. Yay! Um, I think 
Do we get it all? Yeah, man. Look, I think we got. I hope this we wasn't, got it all. This wasn't bad. For all the smack talk we talked, there's a lot of good stuff here. Apple is still really innovating. It's funny they're innovating like in the chip design space. Apple TV is great. The 4K is awesome. The Apple Watch is the best of that product on the market. I just don't care for the product that much. The 8 and the 8S are fine phones in a vacuum, but just look dated as hell to me. And yeah. the 10 is a, a great phone that is contemporary, has some trade-offs, obviously, in the design, some things I don't love, but is cutting edge, but just really expensive, and I think undercuts the rest of their phone lineup. So it was just a... it was. Very interesting. One of the most interesting Apple conferences in years. Lots of great stuff, and they're doing a lot of great things. But there are some puzzling things, and man, you may have to be a lottery winner at some point in order to buy their products. True that. Or, like I said, take out a second on your house or go to the bank and and get a loan because you're going to need it. So... A um, couple things before we wrap up. As uh, always, we definitely in thank. First of all, thank you, listeners, for sticking it out with us this far. We know this was a long one, and uh, there's some colorful language in there. So, uh, again, thank you for sticking it out. If you're hearing this podcast and you are interested in looking for sponsorship opportunities with the Silicon Theory crew, let us know. Hit our inbox at silicontheory at gmail.com. We definitely are looking for sponsorships. We have uh, a growing audience. So if you have a product or service you're looking to, uh, to advertise to a large group of technology enthusiasts and the average everyday Joe looking for technology information, then definitely let us know. Um, we're going to have more of all of this content in the coming days over at SiliconTheory.com. So make sure you head on over to the website, check it out, read our uh, recap, uh, check out all of the updated information that's there. We wrote all this down. So in case you didn't have time about dates or specs or things of that nature, it's all there. So you can go there, check it out, get the scoop, and everything is legit. Um, final words on the Apple event of Tuesday, September 12th? Mostly good stuff. Not sure I understand their phone strategy. And uh, real expensive phones don't make me want to buy them. So, uh, as always, you can catch all of our stuff at SiliconTheory.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Silicon Theory. Hit our inbox if you have any questions or future topics that you'd like us to cover. We are SiliconTheory at gmail.com. Thank you and enjoy your evening. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk tech soon.